Welcome to the Back to Basketball Podcast. Athletes, experts, trainers, and mindset coaches. Conversations that will change your perspective on your mind and body and its capabilities so that you can train and live pain-free and with purpose. Now, here's your host, Darcy Koss. Today on the Back to Basketball Podcast, we have Dan Becker. Dan is a former Division I standout where he played one year at St. Joseph's University before transferring to the University of Colorado. After graduation, Dan played 10 years professionally in leagues all over the world. He represented Canada in the 1989 World FISU Games in Germany and twice in Taiwan's Jones Cup, capturing a silver medal in 1984. Currently, Dan is the high-performance coach for Basketball Manitoba. In 2014, he led the 17U Team Manitoba its first ever gold medal in the male division at the Canadian National Championships. Dan and I discussed the sacrifices he made to improve his game, playing all over the world, how training and coaching has changed over the years, as well as some other cool basketball stories. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, and write a review on the podcast, as well as follow us on social media. Okay, here's my interview with Dan Becker. We are recording. All right, today on the Back to Basketball podcast... I have Dan Becker. Dan, thank you for joining me, man. Oh, my welcome. You're welcome. Hey, Dan, you know what, man? You and I obviously have known each other for a super long time, so I appreciate you coming on. Um, but my first memory of you, the first, the first memory that I can remember, there, there may have been other ones, but it's a specific memory. It was in, in uh, my high school gym in Glenlawn. And uh, you came out and played against us. Uh, I think we were, you know, I was going into my 12th grade year or something like that. It was summertime. And you came out and played against us. And I had never uh, played against someone like, A, that big before. But then, that, like, like you're, you had so much skill. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And you just killed us. And, and, I, and at the time, I know you weren't trying. You're killing us and not trying. And But then the, the cool thing was, is after that, like after we were done playing stuff, you grabbed your towel, you rolled it out. And you laid down, you started stretching yeah, yeah, yeah. and you started yeah. doing a cool down. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, I just stood out because I, again, I had never seen anyone do that. And it was just kind of like this big, like kind of an awakening for me as a basketball player. It's like, you know, when you first get exposed to something, you're like, what is yeah. that? So that was yeah. my first memory of you. And I want to know when I ask you about basketball, what is your first memory? My first memory of basketball yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. When you like, when was the? What's your first basketball memory? My first. Well, I got probably two. The first right. one is uh, is when I my dad used to play basketball and uh, at Overbrook High School. Actually, he was uh, he was the big man in Philadelphia before Will Chamberlain came along. Same high school. Really true story. True story. Yeah, I didn't know that. And uh, he had polio. He got polio back. That was during the polio phase of uh, of uh, life. And he got polio and uh, it it, it affected his muscle a little bit in his leg and stuff. So we went, he played a bit of university basketball, but that kind of was the end of his, uh, he got that in grade, I think grade 12 in the summer camp or something. And, but so he always loved basketball and he's, he's an academic, but he always loved basketball. So I guess he, uh, and he's a, he's a professional psychology, was a professional psychology, he passed. But um, so I get, he always did stuff in, uh, you know, in a roundabout way to, so if he wanted a certain result, I'm sure he did it in some way that he'd been educated in in the world of psychology. So he put up a hoop next to our house. We had a house with a driveway that just kind of goes beside the house, you know, right to the backyard and then you just walk around. So we didn't have a garage or anything. 
So right at the end there of the, of the driveway next to the, the, the dining room window, he put up a, a four by four and a wood bat board in the rim and he just put it up there. And, and I didn't really like basketball at the time. And my, I have two older sisters. They might've shot a little bit. Uh, they played, one of them played a little high school basketball. And then when I started to like it, I remember picking it up and shooting. We started to play in my driveway. Maybe had friends over. I can't remember. And then we kept, you know, missing and hitting. And it hit the side window in the dining room, you know, because it's right. Your yeah. driveway is the court and the house is the sideline. Yeah, yeah. And then I think after a while, he, he took it down. And he said, okay, you like it now? Like, you know, go to the university. We live right near the U of M. So he said, go to the U of M. Go, because that's for the day we just walk in and play. You just go there. I think I had a little student card uh, and stuff, so we could go there. Same way, I could walk there in 20 minutes. So once I got hooked on it, he took it down and sent me to a bigger gym where there's more people. <laughs> so the second memory or the feeding memory of that was going to Bison's gym. And uh, just with the group that was there at the time, some friends and people I met, new friends, uh, playing music and just hanging out all day, just shooting and playing music and kind of, we probably did a lot more talking and goof around listening to music than we did playing basketball, but that was the environment we created that kind of helped you fall in love with the game of basketball or the environment of basketball, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, and then, yeah, from there it just snowballed, you know, I met different people and and uh, had a lot of great experiences based out of having that kind of gym that the basketball community went to. If mm -hmm. you were serious about basketball, you found that place and you went there and you hung out and you learned from your elders and, you know, you had fun. So, okay. So you had, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, your, your dad may have played a, a psych, psychological trick on you. And no. you, is that something that you, you believe to this day that he kind of did that? And then he's like, well, we're going to take this down to, is that a way to kind of like passively or almost trick you to like, like basketball and, and push uh, forward? No, I think it was probably more my mom yelling, like, why is the ball hitting the window all the time? But, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was, he, my dad wasn't overly forceful in any of that stuff. Eh? He was, uh, he kind of really let me do my own thing. Like when I was picking a college and stuff, he just like, yeah, he didn't get involved at all. You know, my daughter was picking a college. I was trying to give her all the advice in the world. And it's like, basically when I did, I was on my own and I left, I transferred, I did that on my own. I just, I want to transfer it. I found another school. I don't remember my parents being involved in anything basketball related. Okay. It was mainly just life related. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to get a job. No, I'm going to go back to get another scholarship, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, they were, and they were busy. Like they both were professors and, uh, you know, taught till seven at night. So that's part of the reason. I found basketball as a second home as I'd hang out after school to do stuff. So I'd go to the gym. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in the gym, so you, you, you started hanging out at Bison East and all that. Now you had mentioned, you know, your, your, your parents weren't really basketball mentors, right? They were mentors with regards to life, but they weren't really basketball mentors. So you must've had some basketball mentors kind of throughout your day and feel free to name them if you'd like. But the thing that I'm more interested in is the lessons that we learned from our mentors. For me, that's always like a big thing. And so I'm curious if there's a few lessons that stand out for you throughout, throughout the years that you've learned. And if you're still carrying any of those um, into your life now and actually teaching them to other people. Well, the story that you brought up, when you brought that story about me stretching and doing little extra things before and after, uh, that was kind of, um, taught or passed on or we observed uh, in Bison East with a guy named Martin Riley, who's mm. probably one of the most uh, successful basketball players out of Manitoba. And I was, you know, I can't remember our age difference, but I was a lot younger than him. And we'd come to the gym just to hang out. And he was training 
serious. Like he was national team, a national team player and player of the year in, uh, in Canada and, and was all work, you know, mm-hmm. all work, all discipline. So we'd come and try and get there early to get in the gym and, you know, he'd be running stairs, doing drills, dripping sweat, uh, doing all the stuff that professionals or people who are very serious about uh, their sport or a craft do. And then we say, hey, you want to play two-on-two, one-on-one? And he'd just say, well, let me finish my workout, and then uh, we'll see how much energy I got left, and I'll do that. So he'd always put all the other stuff aside, and he'd focus on what he came there to do. Mm-hmm. And then he'd play us, and then he'd say, okay, but we're only playing for Cokes <laughs> or a dollar. Like So every game, there was something on the line. Mm-hmm. And he was either just because he was thirsty, or he wanted to get, make sure that we were working our hardest, or he wanted to challenge himself a little bit so he didn't lose, I'm sure. He wasn't going to lose. It's just whether he beat us like 11-0 or 11-1, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the first professional guy that I saw really, you know, putting in work and, and saying, okay, I guess that's what it takes to get successful. And Randy Cassano keeps telling me a story that when I first saw, you know, some people working hard, I was like, ah, you know, those guys, you know, they're crazy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he said he saw me later when I got more serious about it, doing all the same stuff and even more so, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember going there, turning off the lights and ball handling in the dark. I thought it would, you know, it would, I wouldn't look at the ball. You yeah. know, I just feel the ball and I, you know, you see a little bit, but yeah, stuff, yeah. anything, whatever, you know, when you're young, you just, you want to get an edge. You know, I built a sandbox in my driveway for jump drills, you know, and I, I cut an inner tube in half and filled it with sand and I made my own little weight vest. Yeah, yeah. I was obsessed with jumping and dunking when I was young. And uh, so any little edge, you know, like that. And, you know, so you just, uh, you get obsessed. Or not, I got obsessed with it in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a semi-healthy way, I think, you know. <laughs> so it was good. And it was good to see people like like that, like Martin, and kind of help steer you a little bit. Um, basketball in Manitoba wasn't the, wasn't the hotbed for, like, you know, national team, NBA, and high, high level. Like Martin was one of the trailblazers for that and now we're getting with the internet we're seeing all these canadians doing great things yeah yeah at high levels and and plus all the training secrets are being shared so the world's mm-hmm. becoming it's becoming a lot smaller mm-hmm. you didn't have to run in i didn't have to run into martin you didn't have to run into me anymore you can see it on the internet like these yeah. are these are what these guys are doing or at least they're showing on the internet that's what they do Maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't do it like you know <laughs> every day for two hours but yeah yeah exactly exactly so okay so but you you mentioned uh martin and you and you a few few things stood out from that story as someone who's a mentor to you is um obviously you saw kind of like how you said i saw you working and doing and kind of having a routine and and knowing i mean it's almost like saying like taking your craft seriously is essentially what you you looked at him and you said oh if i want to be that good i have to actually take it that seriously it's not just about coming with to the gym with your friends and listening to music and like shooting a bit it's like i have to actually do stuff besides playing uh to kind of get me to that next level um and 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 so would you say that from him you kind of learned that was the specific skill but then another thing you pointed out was you had mentioned that uh the competitive piece and giving yourself an edge and making things a competition is is would you say that's something that is important in kind of driving like individuals like in i know you obviously in your time you said you kind of learned how to work hard um but is it important in your opinion to kind of have competition and i'm asking kind of like a bigger question here because i know you coach as well but do you think that's an important aspect of of you know motivation and development is is competition 
individual, like for yourself, you know, not looking at other people, yeah. but like, Hey, I'm pushing myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, you can't find a person that's really excelled in their stuff. That's not either very competitive with themselves or very competitive with their environment. Mm. Like, you know, I, I can't remember who told me a story at some camp, but it stuck with me. It's like, you want to be the best in your city and then you want to be the best in your province and your country, the world, but there's always someone out there working harder than you. And if that person is more talented than you, like naturally gifted, and they're working harder than you, uh, you know, you're behind, right? Yeah. So sometimes if you're really talented, like you said, I was tall and athletic and skilled. And if you're in a smaller pool, you can get by with not working your hardest and still have some success. Mm-hmm. But if you're competing against the whole world, or if you're competing, or you want to make the NBA, or you want a scholarship or whatever, you want to make the national team, you got to broaden your pool of who you're competing against. And you have to feel that fear, like I'm not, I'm getting outworked, or some guy's doing some secret little drill or <laughs> jump program, or they're eating better than I am, and you know they're going to get an edge. Mm-hmm. And and you have to have that competitiveness with, like I said, the everyone else, but also yourself to, because you can only go as far as your talent will take you, your body will take you, your mind mm-hmm. will take you. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of pieces that you could develop to make you very, very competitive, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And so you mentioned the national team. And I know, you know, you obviously went to play at, you know, two Division One universities. You said you transferred there as well. So you've played, you know, you're one of the few people who's, you know, thrown on the Team Canada jersey. You've played Division One basketball. Uh, you've played all over the world as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious in all those journeys and all those times, and this is a very specific question. Do you remember, or is there a person who stood out that was, you know, someone that you were like, man, like this person's unbelievable. Like you played against someone where you were like, okay, I'm at their level, but they're just better. Like they're just, they're just better than me. And, and no matter how hard you try, you know, at the end of the game, you're like, man, they just killed it. Was there one, is there one person that kind of stood out if when you reflect back and think back of your career at all the different levels that you played against, I was like, just kind of, you know, on almost on another level in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough, that's a tough one. Right. Um, like when I look back on it, I think that, um, athletically and, and most of a lot of the skill set, I could compete. The part that mm. I wasn't better than that was actually playing the game. Mm. the the experience level the understanding the game competitive level to a degree mm-hmm. like all the stuff that if I was in a different environment maybe it might have changed but coming from Winnipeg at that time and then jumping and going uh it's a little harder right not for everybody but for me it was like some mm-hmm. people were fine like Martin was fine Martin was yeah. super competitive super smart mm-hmm. um so for me personally that was always the piece that you know, I was always like, oh, I'm better than this guy. I can't believe yeah. I got cut and this and that. But now I look back at it when I'm older. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't a better basketball player. Like if I were a coach and I said, well, am I going to play Darcy or Dan? Who's going to get me better results? I mean, I may like I may like the way Dan looks doing things and stuff, but Darcy actually is going to get me a W. Mm-hmm. Or Darcy's going to come through with what I need for this position right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dan still has a little more growing up to do, maturing to do. So that's the piece that uh, that lagged for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I probably didn't realize that until too late, you know, like till later on. And and I remember I keep telling people when I was about 28, a light bulb went off in my head. Boom. And all of a sudden I started seeing the court like this. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just this. It was just about mm. th- this one-on-one move or I got a shot or, mm-hmm. or a mm-hmm. simple me or him. It wasn't five guys on the floor. 
Mm. But for some reason, I think I started coaching. I started helping out in coaching and mm-hmm. I started to, I started to think in puzzle pieces and big picture and and I, it just clicked about 28 and I'm like, damn, I wish that clicked a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. That's that yeah, and that's uh that's something that I um I I, I did an interview a little while ago. Uh and uh he said the same thing, you know, pl- very much like you played professional for many years, and he said there was a certain age that happened where the game just slowed down and I just saw everything, but it yeah. was like, it wasn't almost too late, you know, like you're by that time, it's like, you're starting to wind down or you've kind of missed opportunities that you would have had earlier on. Had you had that, but he, yeah. he mentioned that he said, he said, he, and he went on to say, interestingly enough, that that's what exactly what you just said. That's what differentiates, you know, a lot of players is like, you know, the great, great, great players that end up being great, have this skill the ability Early. and they can see the game right whereas you know people have skill and they can they can jump they have the size but there's something there's like a limiting factor there and it takes yeah. them longer so they miss that that peak but the great ones almost have it like right away yeah. you know and so you know it was interesting or they learn it early or yes. you know, that, now yes. that I'm in the coaching side development side I'm starting to see I'm, you know it's interesting I'm starting to see these kids that are young Mm. And they have they have that kind of piece, and it jumps out like, "Whoa, that kid really knows how to play," or he's just got instincts. Yeah, and yeah, now yeah, I mean, yeah. you start to wonder, like, is that something that gets better, or is that just something you have, and your skills get better? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like a recruitable skill, you know, mm-hmm. versus just like shooting and athleticism yep. and yep. and stuff like that. Like, there you get better at it. But I'm really curious. I don't know the answer to it, but I'm really curious to how much of that is just genetic. Like, you're born with that abstract ability to mm-hmm. get this game or any game. You know, usually a lot, usually a lot of those guys are good in a lot of different games, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not book smart, maybe not something else, but games, mm-hmm. they're usually good in football, volleyball, mm-hmm. fo- hockey, like everything. They just, they just get it, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so I know that's a very interesting area for me. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. Those are the types of people, those people that you're talking about, or, the, or if you were like a hunter gatherer society, they'd be like the best hunters, you know, yeah. <laughs> they'd be the ones out there just like, Oh, I get it. No, I'm just, I'm just good at this because I they'd have be, spatial they, awareness and they'd be the ones that survive. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the other ones are dead. Yeah, exactly. They, they couldn't see the line chasing them behind them, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you, so, you, you know, like I said, you had mentioned, you know, you played, uh, you know, division one basketball, you've, you've played against some guys who, who were in the NBA for sure in yeah. your, in some of your conference play, no? Oh, tons. Yeah. So I was, um, my first university was St. Joe's university in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, kind of a last minute, uh, scholarship situation. So it's, um, this, the story really is my dad's from Philadelphia. Like he went to Overbrook high school, like I said, and, his uh, family was there and he said in Christmas time, do you want to, do you want to go down and visit some family with me? And I'm like, well, sure. But we got the Westman classic coming up and that was a big tournament, you know, for all the high school kids. And I'm like, but I got, I got to stay sharp, you know, so as long as you can get me to a gym and could shoot, then let's go. And he said, okay, yeah, we'll do our best. And so him and I went down and then where we stayed, the closest university was St. Joe's university, mm. St. Joseph's and it's where the 76ers practice. And my idol at the time was Dr. J and all they, they just won the national, the, the NBA uh, championship, the world championship. So anyway, that we went to that gym and just like Matt, a tote buys and he's, he, Hey, can we go shoot here? It's like, no big deal. So my dad went in there and said, my son's here and you know, we're from Canada and we just want to shoot around a little bit. And they're like, well, they looked, you know, I was six, seven or whatever. They're like, okay. And, and then I uh, shooting and playing. I'm like, Oh, where do you, where do you go to university or school? And I said, uh, I'm in high school, grade 12. He says, oh, where are you going next year? I said, I don't know yet. I haven't 
really decide. And I had a few letters and interest from some schools just south of the border, like Montana and mm-hmm. North Dakota. This is back in the 80s, right? You know, before all the hype where people can find it a lot easier. And uh, I was also considering going to University of Manitoba because of the relationship with Martin Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, oh, okay. And then they sent out one or two guys, play one-on-one, two or two, send out a few more guys, play a little three-on-three. Three. And then before <laughs> before I left, they said, oh, you want a scholarship? And I said, <laughs> Sure. And because uh, it was literally my high school season was open in two or three months, right? Yeah, so yeah. recruiting's kind of been done. And again, I didn't know anything about the recruiting game, nothing. So uh, I said, sure. And I went there. And um, part of the reason I loved it was the 76ers, that was their practice facility. So yeah. every morning they were in there. And we're in the same locker room, like Dr. J and Moses Malone, Charles Barkley. That was our locker You're room. In sure. the locker room. Yeah. Same like, one. Dr. J is three lock three three lockers down. <laughs> right? So this is before they had practice yeah, facilities. Yeah, so yeah, St. No Joe's doubt. was a gated uh, campus. And I guess it was close to where these guys lived or they use it for whatever reason. But I remember like I remember like because Dr. J is my I couldn't believe it. We're in the mirror, like Pat, he's like he's my height exactly, mm-hmm. uh, same size feet. And then we did the hand thing because you know it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's famous for that. And I have big hands, but he was like another <laughs> another joint past my fingers. I remember that vividly, like, wow, this guy's hands are just crazy. And uh a super cool guy, super like just like he shows on yeah. all his videos, just very classy, great ambassador for basketball. And uh, and so those guys were playing, and uh, and then I brought my friend down, Shea Diodiatu. Uh, he came down to visit me after I signed there, and they, they pressed there all summer. We were playing two on two, three on three with these guys, you know, like with the Sixers. Yeah, <laughs> this is back in the day, especially the especially yeah. the younger ones, right? They just yeah, yeah, want to play for sure. So we're we're all being gym rats, and then uh, and then closer when a camp started, uh, Doctor J would show up, and the veterans show yeah. up. They yeah, get, you get to play with them, you know you get to play with them for maybe a week and then they get into camp. But yeah, it was, that was kind of the coolest thing about it. And I remember, uh, I remember this vividly too. Everyone could say, Oh, you remember, did you, how did you do? I don't kind of remember that. <laughs> so probably not well. But I, I remember uh, like I, I could palm the ball off the dribble and you know, jump off one. Yep. And that was kind of my big, that was my big thing. Right. Like I said, yep. that was good. I was good at that. So I was on a break and I came down, I goosed it off the dribble and I'm flying. I'm like, I'm going to dunk on these guys. And it was, uh, who was it? Charles Jones, I think. Okay. Big center for them. Just out of nowhere. Just, you're not going. I just, I was like, holy crap. And just like, like it, it was great for a high school kid from Canada to see yeah. all that. Like that was, they won the championship the year before. So it yeah, didn't yeah. get any better. But to have that experience, that was awesome. And, so uh, what, was that uh 81 or 83 or no 84 85 84 85 okay yeah yeah, yeah they yeah. won it in yes. 83 84 i guess yes yeah yeah so it would have been the year after that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah year after they're just and yeah. leo leo routens just got drafted to him that year so he okay was yeah yeah when i was here which was cool and um yeah so that was the best part about it. coach Steph was cool i was playing behind two guys that were you know draft picks one got the lottery went to denver Maurice Martin and another guy, Bob Lajowski, was a stud. So I didn't play a ton and I had a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just didn't, it didn't feel com- like it just wasn't the right fit for me. You yeah. know, the school, even the city, like Philadelphia, you know, it's a big kind of gritty city and it's yeah. come from Winnipeg. It's you know, Midwest and West Coast is more kind of Canada style a little yeah. bit, you know. So yeah, I just try. I remember just leaving like in February. Again, no input from my parents. You, you <laughs> like, didn't finish the 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 semester. Oh, 
Really? No, I'm just like, uh, normally a parent would say, hey, you'll, yeah. you'll get your grades, finish yeah. your semester, yeah. then make a decision, you know. And I just like, nah, I'm out of here. I can't. I was homesick. And, yeah. you know, this is before the internet, before FaceTime, yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So you're, just, you're just yeah. stuck down there. And then, um, yeah, I just told the coaches, yeah, about February. I said, I've uh, got to go home. I'm out. And just left. And my, I came home. My dad's like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> he goes, <laughs> I said, oh, I'll get another scholarship. Like having no idea what the <laughs> recruiting world is like or if anyone knew who I existed or anything. And he goes, well, are you going to pay rent? Are you going to get a job? And I'm like, how about this? I said, you give me you give me like six months and I'm going to, basketball is my job. I'm going to train in the morning and I'm going to do skills and I'm going to do weights. And then the evening I'm going to find games. And I said, uh, and then if I don't get a scholarship and then I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, it's okay. My parents were divorced at the time, so it was just me and my dad. So he's like, okay, I'll do that. And then I got really serious about it because, uh, you know, something was on the line. And I remember going down there. I had a lot to learn. And also, I thought I could dribble the ball a little bit. And once I got to that level, I realized I can't dribble the ball against mm-hmm. pressure at, at all. So in the morning, I like an hour on ball handling, like hard, just trying to get my ball handling better and and really kind of address some of my weaknesses, get stronger, mm-hmm. you know. And then, uh, you know, I don't even know how it all happened. It's, I got lucky in a few regards. Like Leo Routens was a Syracuse alum, and him and I worked out together and became friends. And uh, he said, you know, I'm going to call Beheim at Syracuse, and uh, and I think you can play there, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, okay, sure. So he talked to him, and then I went to go work the Syracuse camp for a week. Okay. You know, as I worked at camp and playing their 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 games at night with all the team members, and then yeah, yeah. and I did well there. I remember doing well. Then Beheim came up like the last day, and yeah, you know, I like you. I think you could play here. We're gonna offer you a scholarship, and then he just started talking about everything they do. You know, we're in the we're on yeah. TV more than able to where They won the national title that year, the year I would have been there. My stretcher, okay. I think. So they're a they're a big time club, and for Canada, like Syracuse was like the golden. Yeah, yeah golden school to go to right and um and so i just came from a school a smaller school a mid d1 where i didn't play as much granted i was a freshman and two studs were in front of me uh, and then trying to go to that program and uh even though they said i'd play a lot and stuff i was just i didn't believe enough in myself to do that mm-hmm. so that's kind of my one of regrets like just to to take that challenge on and just, you never know, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you don't want to have any, you don't want to have any regrets when you're done. And so I just said, uh, I said, okay, I, I felt like it was, I, I might've just been a filler or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and looking back on it, the recruiting game, this was in the summer before I was willing to go. So maybe a spot opened up or maybe it was just a filler who knows. Mm-hmm. So I kind of paused on it. And then um, university of Colorado was interested a little Marymount, a few other schools, and I was taking some visits and visiting them. Cal- University of Colorado actually came up to Winnipeg and watched me and the provincial team. Okay. That, that's when the provincial team was 21 and under. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they came up to watch a couple of practices. And then I went down for a visit. And um, and I ended up uh, – no, you know what? Actually, I ended up calling Syracuse in August. Okay. Saying, yeah, I'm ready to commit. And they're like, <laughs> what? And I because, like, you know, I'm – Canadian and no one's telling me how the game works. And I'm just like, yeah, you offered me a scholarship. I'm ready to commit, you know? And, uh, 
and they said, okay, hold on. We got to have a coaches meeting. Like a lot's happened since then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they had a meeting they said, you know, one guy was going to transfer didn't another guy hurt his knees back. We signed another guy mm-hmm. on our list that was a little mm-hmm. below you, but we, he committed and we don't have, we don't have room for you. So whether they really didn't or they kind of decided to pass, I'm not too sure. And they said, besides, we thought you were, you were committed to going to Colorado. I said, yeah, it was close. Like I was, I liked it. But and so I ended up going to Colorado. And then um, the, our assistant coach told me a story where he saw them on the road recruiting. He said, how's Danny doing? I said, oh, he's doing well. He's starting for us. And he says, yeah, if he was here, he'd be starting for us too. And I remember that just stuck with me. I was like, <laughs> oh, like, because they never really had a small forward at the time. They had Stevie Thompson and he's more of a shooting guard, but because of their lineup, he was a small forward. Now he wasn't, he wasn't really a big shooter. He's a great slasher and athlete, but they like to play that zone with big, yeah. Big, yeah, yeah. big athletes and shooters. And, you know, I, I was shooting the ball well and I fit that kind of mold, you know, but again, lack of understanding of style of play, how the recruiting mm-hmm. game works and all that. And then just not, didn't have the confidence to take a bet on myself. Um, that, so that's one of the, when people always ask about the regrets, you know, like yeah, one thing, yeah. go back in time and do, I, I, I kind of, curious to how that would uh play out hmm. uh, but like i said mentally i wasn't ready to do it so yeah. i just i went to colorado had a had a really good time there and started for three years and solid numbers you know wasn't a rock star we, we kind of played inside out basketball so our two bigs were the leading scorers i was the third mm-hmm. scorer and and learned a lot learned a lot about man-to-man d and we we're the big eight was one of the best conferences at the time mm-hmm. usa today ranked it our schedule was actually number one one year toughest schedule really the final of the NC2A in 88, I believe, was Kansas and Oklahoma. And that was mm-hmm. also a final of our conference. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was yeah. a great experience. We played some great teams. And Colorado is a beautiful place. University is unreal. Where, where, where is the, the campus? What city is it? Boulder, Colorado. It's yeah. Boulder. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I remember when I transferred, like I left Philadelphia, which is kind of big city. Yeah. Pretty. And I said, the next place I go to, I want to pick that I would go to as a student. Like if basketball wasn't in the picture or it's going terribly wrong, that I would still be happy there, get up, you know, love mm-hmm. the campus, love the school. So Boulder is like sunshine and mountains and, yeah. and, and pretty, kind of a little more chill vibe like Canada. University, I was in the business school there, great school. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it was it was good. No regrets there. Just, you know, that one piece of uh, challenging yourself until you really fail, you know, like uh, yeah. t- taking the biggest risk you can without being dumb about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That, well, I mean, that's, that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And I, and again, like it's, it's interesting as I interview more and more athletes, um, some young and some like older retired ones like you, I hear similar stories, like very similar ones where there's like, it's like, we always have this one thing. It's like, it's almost, it's, it, it's almost like it can be a regret, but it could also just be like a, what if, you know, it's like, yeah. a, what if, you know, yeah. and, yeah. uh, and, and it is interesting, you know, when you look at your life as a whole, cause you could do that with anything, you know, I'm sure if we started talking about everything, you'd be like, yeah, there, well, there was this option and I chose this option. But I think the thing that stood up for me is how you mentioned, um, you know, you just weren't, you weren't ready. Cause had you been ready and had you been in, you know, in a different place, you would have made that decision. Yeah. And I would have been, hey, as soon as he said, I'm going to offer you a yeah. scholarship. I'm, yep, I'm here. This is, you're one of the top programs. I'm going to challenge exactly. myself. D- done deal. Exactly. I don't care if you think I'm 10th man or not. I'm going to prove to you that, exactly. that I'm going to earn it. Yeah. So exactly. mentally, mentally, I wasn't there yet anyway, confidence-wise. Whether that would have grown there or whether I would have got eaten alive, I don't know. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never know right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's the what if, right? That's the what if. So, um, Dan, you played 
kind of all over the world, literally all over. Cause I remember one time I asked you and you're like, yeah, you've probably played on every continent actually come to think of it. I mean, maybe outside actually, of like not, not Japan and in like China, maybe no, but I think I, you I, played. I never went to South America and I've never okay. been to Africa, never been to okay. South America and actually, uh, China and that no, I went with yeah. to Taiwan and Hong Taiwan. Kong with with okay. national with national teams, okay. but not okay. not to play uh not to play. Like, so then, how many countries have you played in? You know, someone just asked me the other day. Probably about eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, probably when it comes down, I mean, eight or nine leagues, and then there's always trips. I, yes. I sometimes forget about like national team trips, but really, a yeah, lot yeah. of those were were in Asia. And Germany, Germany is a World University Games. It's in Duisburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also played there too as a later on as a professional. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mainly sun countries, which is always nice, like warmer, <laughs> warmer countries. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so then what, what was your favorite country that you played in? Yeah, I get asked this a lot. So it depends. So uh, caliber of play or enjoyment level? Like I'm talking, I, I would say like if you weren't playing basketball, you would have enjoyed the country anyways, mm-hmm. as far as like lifestyle yeah. and like, you know, the vibe. Tenor- Tenerife, Spain, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Is that yeah, like so, southern Spain? Where is that exactly? No, it's the Canary Islands off of Africa. Oh, yeah. oh. So it's like the Hawaii of Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So they had a really... team there? <laughs> oh, yeah. They got they got a couple of teams. The ACB team. They got a Liga Leb team. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's one in Grand Canaria. There's one in uh, uh, Grand, Grand Canaria. I, I don't know. Okay. Las Palmas. There's a couple islands in... Mm. I think the big one was on another island. I was on a league of lead team, went to replace an injured player, Martin Keane. So it was okay. even better because I had a friend and a host there who's getting over a pet tear. So <laughs> it's just, I had a tour guide basically who knew the lay of the land. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. There, there's no learning curve. We're just boom. Just, Beaches. I went scuba diving for the first time in my life, like an idiot. It was dark and off the Canary Islands. So wow. like, it's just yeah, some, some crazy stuff. So Okay, so that's lifestyle would be there, and then what about caliber of play? What was like the the league you enjoyed the the most, or the, the the highest level league that you played in? That's tough too, right? Because I played in uh, in Long Island for the Long Island Surf in the uh, in the um, shoot what do they call it now? That league it's kind of a East Coast East Coast. I forget the name of it. But you know the major season on the East Coast, all yep. the way from from Atlanta, Florida, they all came mm-hmm. up, and and I played with the Long Island Surf, and um, and it was a summer league where you spring summer league where you tried to kind of sh- show up for the NBA teams and mm-hmm. get a to get a tryout. So the team I was on was with Anthony Mason. Mm-hmm. So the year he made the Knicks. So uh, yeah, that was fun, and that was a that was a good caliber of ball. You know, I'm playing with a guy like Anthony Mason, yeah. and you know Dallas Comedies was a Philadelphia and. Some big names were in there. So, again, that wasn't a big glamorous one or an overseas one, but it was a high caliber. And then that actually led to an NBA invite. So I went to an NBA camp. So that was, you know, it all kind of fed itself, right? And that all even started from a fluke invite from a friend who was an agent who was going to a tournament in Colorado Springs. This, this kind of, I don't even know what kind yeah. of, ABA USA tournament in Colorado okay. Springs. Okay. And he was an agent and he, I knew a friend. He said, Oh, when you come and join it, he ended up being my agent. So I played on that team, did really well in that tournament. Then that brought me to long on surf. And then that got me to a trial with the Indiana Pacers. And then, um, that's good for the resume. <laughs> so <laughs> I got, I got cut real fast, but I was, it's good to put that on your resume that you mm-hmm. kind of achieved that level where they found you. And, uh, and they, uh, you know, it separates you a little bit when yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying, trying to figure out what player to pick. 
for sure. So then, yeah. so like how far into your career were at this point when you got the sniff sniff with the NBA, they said, Hey, come to this tryout. How, like 25 years old. So okay, I was so two years out of college, but I, the, ironically, I remember it jumped into my mind when you said making these decisions. So right after that, like I was in Australia and then I was in, I was in Mexico, then Australia, mm-hmm. some summer stuff, uh, the ISBL, that tournament I was at, that ABA did really well there, some national team stuff and the NBA trout. And then I decided to take a year break because Stop I was playing basketball <laughs> for a year. Yeah. And you must've been burnt out or something, right? Yeah. Just, you know what? All my friends had uh, apartments and jobs and I was always traveling and playing basketball since 18. Mm-hmm. you know, university and always on the go. And I'm like, I felt I was missing out on something, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. So I just took a year off to, you know, have a good relationship with a girl and and uh, and then have a, I didn't have a, I had a job. I can't remember. I don't think so. I think I just trained. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm just going to train and, you know, and uh, and just chill out. I was just wow. dumb. It was dumb. It was a dumb time to do it. Because in basketball, the world of basketball, they say, what did you do last year? Yeah, yeah. Not not what's in your resume. That's nice. But what did you do last year? And I'm like, well, I just chilled out. They're like, oh, really? And you hurt? Did you tear something? What are you hiding? I said, no, just just chilled out. I was tired of traveling and I wanted to just have a normal life for a year. Mm -hmm. So I rented an apartment actually right downtown, right behind a Portage place. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, so it's crazy. Yeah. So I drive by that place. I'm like, why? You know, why did I do that? I just... (laughs) You know, and that's when I wrote, uh, I did a research paper in college on uh, plyometrics. I don't know if you remember that. I had that, I think I shared that with it's called plyos. Yeah. I made a little, I made a little mail order jump program Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was always obsessed with that. And then for a class, I had to do a, a project and I decided to do that. And I was looking up like Soviet sport review microfiche and finding out the current data, which was, this is eighties. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to start a company, you know? And I, so I said, that was my project to keep me busy. And then, I think I sold one copy through the mail and that was a success for me. And I found a couple of copies in my, my office, just like last year when I was cleaning up, No way. but it's just, yeah, it's all wrong. It's like way too much volume, way, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. way too much stress in your body, but it was kind of what people were getting into at the time. It was just kind of secret stuff from the Eastern block, you know, did you do it? Did you, did you try oh, yeah. Is that oh, what you were uh, using? Uh, my red shirt year at Colorado, I did all that. I experimented on myself. I was jumping off tables with, 20 pound weight vests and doing like 400 reps of this stuff. Wow. And now you're supposed to see like 150 contacts, like max. So this is tuck jumps to everything. I was yeah. doing heavy, like triple jump, like jump off a table, hit the mat one, two, three, to touch the rim three times in a row or touch, touch, dunk, like just wow. crazy stuff that, you know, you're young enough to, it, it helped. My vertical went crazy. For sure. But then my Achilles blew up and even yeah. a short, a short time after next time I tried to do plows or jumps up, my Achilles get agitated and, and uh, yeah, it's, it wasn't very smart, but it's kind of, you know, no one really knew at that time. And, yeah. Uh, it's just it's, like, so, huh. That's crazy. <laughs> That's yeah. it's funny. Cause it's like, yeah, like you, 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 you know, you, 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 you didn't have any major injuries from it, but like you said, your no. Achilles was getting aggravated and stuff, but that's like, yeah, that stuff now, what we know now, it's like, whoa, like that's, no, that's no, yeah, yeah. yeah, you would never do that. And I had those, ju- <laughs> I had those jump soles, remember the jump yeah, shoes? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did two cycles of that and that helped as well. But then yeah. that really aggravated my Achilles. I remember I was overseas. I brought him with me overseas one year and I just started to do it for like a month and I, my Achilles started to act up. I had to stop it. Then I sold him uh, to Murray Davidson, actually. He's the only guy I had my... <laughs> 
he's the only guy I have my size. I had size 15 at the time, I think was what they were. And he bought them. He said he, he liked them. He was, he helped him. Yeah, but yeah, those, yeah. Those things are dangerous too. Right. So. Yeah. I remember uh, those, man. I've yeah. I actually used those before and they, they definitely did help, man. I was, they help, it, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's at what, what's the cost though. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, you're getting the benefits, but at what cost? So um, I, I wanted to, I actually do have some questions about training that. So maybe save some of those. I just wanted to kind of wrap up. I have one question about uh, you playing overseas because I've heard stories from people who played overseas before um, about some countries where like fans are just insane or yeah. like crazy stuff happens or there's, yeah, I heard a story recently where, you know, um, fans had like a, uh, what do you got flare and they threw it on the court. And I've heard stories yeah. of like people throwing coins at the court. So they heat them up with lighters and they throw them. Yeah. So like what, yeah. tell me, tell me some stuff, man. I'm, I'm sure you have some, some crazy uh, my, European fan stories. Mine weren't too crazy. The only one I, that really jumps out at me was uh, I was playing in Israel and uh, we played a cup game in Rome. So we were, we we're flying on a plane. We had a Mossad agent with us and everything because you're playing with an Israeli team. You leave the yeah. country, you're a target. And um, he's just telling me stories. I was like, whoa, really? You're a secret agent? You're traveling with us? And yeah, then they sweep in the bus underneath there with, with cameras and everything. Everywhere we went. So it was well, that, was, that was after the, the Olympic that massacre that took place oh, at the Olympics, right? That was, yeah. I, think, I think that was way after that. Like this is, we're talking eight, uh, nineties, right? So. Yeah. But that, that thing took place. I think it was in the, one of the eighties Olympics, but I think since that point yeah. they made all their athletes would travel with these, yeah. with these, uh, agents because they were, Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what it's from. But anyways. So then we were in Rome and, uh, we were playing and, um, Dennis Hobson was on our team. Mm. So he was a former bull backed up. Michael yeah. Jordan was a lottery pick. Uh, so was Brad Sellers actually had two lottery picks in that team. And um, he got in a fight with someone or jarring during the game and all that, right? And then uh, then they were all talking. Like, there were guys were doing the, you know, throwing stuff and toilet paper and yelling. And then they said in the locker room, like, yo, we have to go out with security through a tunnel and run right into the bus. There's a bunch of people out there that want to fight us. <laughs> and we're like, what? Like, I'm just, here to, I'm just here to play basketball. And I said, yeah, you know, they get a little passionate over here. And, like, they're yelling different things at the fans from uh, the club, our club, and then their club, some of the yeah. traveled or locals or whatever. And, and then just then it, with, with Dennis getting in that altercation to court, he was the target. So... I remember we had to kind of shield him and then people security was shielding us and we ran like out of this tunnel through security shield into the bus and then the bus to our, our hotel at the airport. I can't remember. And then wow. on our way. So that was really, hard. I've heard of the other ones, especially with national teams and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You go to, it's mainly the Mediterranean crazy ones like Turkey, mm. uh, Greece, Italy, those the more Southern Mediterranean you get, the more wild they get. You know, the yeah. more uh, for basketball, the more Northern European you get, they seem a little more reserved. <laughs> general you, rule. That's that's the general rule. General rule, yeah. Unless it's changed. But well, but even your story is pretty crazy. The fact that like you know, we have to be rushed out like at a basketball game because oh yeah, yeah. That, that's that's I mean you would never and then, and even like throwing toilet paper and stuff like that would never that doesn't happen in North American basketball games and if it does it's a it's a big deal and even back then like I'm not talking about leaving today like. Yes, there was more fights back then, but like if fans were like throwing stuff on the court or like, you know, a fight that would never happen in the NBA in the in oh. the eighties, for example, or even other leagues. I mean, that it just seems it's there's a different uh, vibe, I guess, in in some of these other countries when it comes to what what I guess acceptable by fans. Well, you know the 
the, the benches when they have those plastic covers on them. That's yeah, why. Because yeah, yeah. people, heat stun, they whip stuff at you. They throw things at you. Uh, Bottles, coins. Who knows? Could be something sharp. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. That so, totally and then, makes sense. And back, I was playing back in the day where, like, the top of the arenas were a plume of smoke. Because these are Mediterranean countries back in the 80s or in, you know, 90s. Oh, they're smoking, and the whole thing is a plume of smoke, especially in Asia. It's just smoke everywhere. Wow. And you're just like, uh, you go to a club, or uh, there's a club in uh, Portugal uh, It's called the Bus Bar, and I'm like, oh, cool. It's a bus that's hollowed out, and everyone in there is smoking. It's just like, it's like <laughs> a, you can't breathe in there, right? And it's just, <laughs> well, you get kind of get used to it. It's kind of normal that planes were the same way back in the day. Yeah. Planes and but I'm glad all that stuff's been uh, yeah, we've evolved that up. But Europe and Asia still, they have smokers and events and stuff. Yeah, and that's crazy, uh, man. Yeah, it is. It's another world, right? So. It, it absolutely is. Well, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's just crazy. I, I'm so interested in that kind of stuff, just the different mentalities. In the, and the I mean, culture is generally obviously vary so much, but then when you talk about basketball culture uh, of the fans, that's just, it's insane. Well, it's, it's it's tribalism, right? Because yes, a lot, a lot yes. of the club, a lot of the clubs over there are they're regional clubs, they're neighborhood clubs, they're mm. community clubs. It's not just like uh, I'm a rich guy and I have a club and I just make up a name and we're a club or an NBA franchise, it's, or maybe it is, but like it's your mm. city, it's your community, mm-hmm. and they have they have soccer, they have basketball, they have all these different clubs, and that's their club. So it's like it's tribalism, right? It's either yeah. that club or that country. Like when we went over, it's country versus country, right? You're fighting for for who wins the cup, who moves on to the next stage of the cup, yeah, who wins the yeah, European yeah, cup. Yeah, yeah. So they get, and they're very passionate sports fans over there, as you've seen in soccer and other sports, right? And translates to basketball. Yeah, that totally, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift a little bit. And we, we, we kind of talked, we touched on a, on a bit kind of throughout the conversation when we talked about, you know, some of the training routines you did and, and uh, looking at some of your mentors, kind of how they delved into training. But you've now had a lifetime in basketball uh, you've seen all sorts of training styles. Like I said, you know, we talked about the jump training, you've had your own, you know, you developed your own program. You've seen, uh, how things have changed over the years. So I was, I was curious, what would you say, um, if you know what you know now, and you were training a young Dan Becker, <laughs> what would you have changed knowing what you know now? Um, yeah, that's, that's a tricky one, right? Like it's uh, like the way our our system has changed now. Like you grew up in kind of the same system I grew up in. Like you played mm-hmm. basketball for three months, you played volleyball. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a club; there was just provincial team, you know. And that's it. Now you literally, if you're not going year round, you feel like you're missing out on something. Mm-hmm. Even at a young age, like kids are getting more skilled. Like skill is developed at an early age; it really is, right? Um, but there's a lot of nine 10 11 12 year olds that kind of lock that skill in whether they use it again later or not but they kind of miss that window mm. you know that you notice that when you start to evaluate talent that they could probably get a, a, some of it back or maybe a good majority of it but you know i kind of think that you need to be exposed to that skill at a younger age whether that dominates your life is another question it's just that you want to be exposed at the finer motor skills of basketball because it's not like football or other ones where you know speed and power that'll come later and understand the game mm-hmm. but basketball's got a lot of fine motor skills and uh and i think it's important for kids to be comfortable with those at a younger age so being exposed to some good skill development at a younger age is important 
building a really good base, like an aerobic base, playing soccer or track and field or cross country, having a good motor, like all the things that would lead to having a good motor, uh, things that lead to having a good work ethic, things that lead to being competitive, mm. uh, things that lead to understanding concepts. So again, a lot of these are multi-sport things. And that's what the science tells us is have your kids play a lot of different sports and stay active. Uh, the only thing that's kind of, I think, really changed is, is I think you need to get into your skill work a little earlier. Mm. You don't have to get into training just for basketball physically, um, but I think you need to have your skill work. You need to you need to have a good base of that, a foundation of that, and maybe even understanding of the game. Maybe you kind of learn the game a little bit earlier so you feel comfort. Part of it is being able to compete. The other part is just comfort, confidence, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of kids, all of a sudden, you see the 12-year-old, they're like, boop, 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 and like, you don't feel like, oh, well, that guy's way better than me. Mm -hmm. And you, it's going to take you two or three years to get to the skill level. Maybe you don't, maybe you just you go to another sport because you actually can compete a little easier in, in something else where you just mm -hmm. need to be physically, you can compete with them. Um, yeah, you know, now the training's changing a little bit from all this block, block training we did in the gyms where we just catch and shoot from 10, 10, 10 from each spot. Mm -hmm. Now it's, uh, you know, random. It's more decision-making. It's kind of back to free play. You know, we went where we just went to the gym and played yeah. and we got real good. Then we got to training really too regimented. Now we're kind of, let's use the, all this gym time, and these programs, but let's make, make the coaches free things up and sit back a little bit and let these mm -hmm. kids figure it out for themselves mm -hmm. and train randomly, but maybe have a little more, you know, focus on attacking certain skill sets to make sure you're a rounded player, not just, mm -hmm not just one or two skill sets, right? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 cause yeah, like we, we, you and I definitely, I definitely come from more your era than the new era for sure. Um, but would you say that, so the kids, they are obviously doing stuff. They're developing these skills a little younger, but like, like you said before, everything was blocked before. And so like, I remember, so it's, it's weird. So what I'm trying to say here is, I remember playing multiple sports and like all these different sports growing up and I wasn't playing basketball all the time. I think it was starting to happen with me. Like I would play in the summer and stuff and open gyms, but, yep, yep. and that's kind of how the norm used to be back in the day. And then it kind of shifted also along the lines of where it's like now people play year round sports, but you're, what you're saying is that that's actually not the, that's not to the benefit of the athlete. It's actually at the benefit of the athlete to have at least, exposure to multiple sports whether or not they still play their main sport on the side but they should be dipping their toes in many different uh sports to kind of develop a well-rounded or a holistic kind of uh approach to athletics as a whole and yeah. movement and and all that stuff so kind of it's kind of like it 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 went it's it switched on its uh, it kind of went in a big circle almost well you're still fighting a lot of parents and now uh, because because the bar has been raised and there's all these competitions at such a young age and teams being mm. selected at a young age, we select national teams, 14, 15 year olds are on yeah. age group national teams. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I want to be a part of that. So what do I have to do Oh, at 11, 12, I got to get my skill set a little better so I can stand out mm -hmm. uh, or I can compete at that level, you know, or something like that. So there's still a fight. It, the science has been, the science that's out there now says, play multiple sports. It helps reduce injury. Mm -hmm. It helps develop multi, uh, multi-directional skills, uh, mm -hmm. uh, full, uh, a full athletic array, mm -hmm. and also a cognitive array of understanding different types of offenses and concepts in different sports. You have different coaches. You have different teammates, mm -hmm. different environments. It's all competition. It's all sport. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So it kind of translates. And I was like, you, I played soccer for a long time. I played Mm -hmm. volleyball till grade 10. I liked Mm -hmm. volleyball. I like volleyball Mm -hmm. a lot. And mm-hmm. I would just put basketball on the shelf for three months. And then I'd come back and I'd be a little rusty. And I'm like, I really want to be good at basketball. So I stopped playing volleyball. And, uh, you know, and then I, I loved doing anything athletic. We used to hang out at University of Manitoba before all the insurance worries at a gymnastics room. We'd just walk into all the gyms, all the pool, the track. Because I had, a, I had a, a little card for a student uh, card. Uh-huh. I just lived there and did different things, right? Weightlifting, like anyway, anything. So it was... I think we just kind of stumbled into it because of the way our society was set up at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was good. There's a lot of good athletes that came out of it. If you look back and they weren't quite as skilled mm-hmm. at the earlier point, like if I watch film of all, oh, yeah, they're not quite as skilled, right? They're, mm-hmm. You could have got that piece. But now if you could add that skill development in a subtle way without killing your kids, mm-hmm. along with all these multi-sport development, if you could find a way to make that schedule yeah. work. Uh, and keep them healthy and happy and not to put any pressure on them. Uh, I think that'd be, that's probably the way you kind of have to go now. Cause you still have to, you, you know, you don't want to just show up at age 18 and say, Hey, I'm good. Yeah. And then it's yeah. almost too late. You yeah, have yeah, to, yeah. You have to build a bit of a resume. You got to prove that you're good. Yes. And by the time you're 18, like my older daughter played on three national teams already. Yeah. Yeah. Age group national teams. You yeah. Know, a bunch of competition. She just showed up at 18. So I'm good. It's like, yeah, you might be, but it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle to prove it to people, right? For sure, for sure. So along those same uh, same lines, what, in your opinion, is something that is not the norm in the game of basketball, whether it be training or skill development, that you think should be the norm? Not the norm. Like it's something that like you practice or you understand, but it's like, you see, you don't see other people doing it. And you think this is like, not the secret, but you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and it can be in, it can be in training, like little, literal, literally physical training or skill either, or, but something that, you know, or you've seen that it's like, it could be something that's up and coming or it's something that you've kind of always like, it's like something you've always rested on. You're like, no, no, I believe in this, but it's not the norm in the game as a whole. I would say, um, well, the, I mean, the things that I try and focus on and try and preach in our stuff and to the kids that I work with are, I believe in track. Mm. So get your kids in track and field early and make sure it's track and field where they do a lot of speed work and running mechanics mm-hmm. uh, and maybe have some um, cardio as like some cross country for that age, age group appropriate for that. Track and field, um, um, having your aerobic base and then the skills would be ball handling. Like at a young age, that's fun. You could do it anywhere. And if you get that in at a young age, you're not going to be the kid that never dribbles or never gets a ball. Right. And that's going to open a lot more doors for you because you're comfortable with the ball and you may be with groups where guys aren't. And so you just get more touches, you get more involved in the game and your skill will continue to develop. If you're that kid who's always inbounding or always setting screens, because your 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 skills aren't that great in ball handling, then um, then I think that that to, especially at a young age, because a lot of coaches will just kind of make an evaluation. Of, you're a post, you're a guard, you're my ball handler. They, they won't say, "I don't care if you suck at ball handling right now. We're a youth team. Everyone's gonna everyone's gonna get a fair amount to do it." And but even if you get a coach who's like that and really development minded, they're still when push comes to shove and gets closer to the game. They're going to, even the kids, if not confident, you're going to give yeah. it to the kid who can dribble a bit. You just do that naturally. 
you got to yell at them. Hey, you dribble up, you know, yeah. who cares if you turn it over? Yeah. And, uh, but kids just don't do that. Right. They stay in their mm-hmm. comfort zone mm-hmm. that, and then, and then trying to find uh, some type of shooting rhythm at a younger age, like there not to be a ton of detail, but um, um, you know, good mechanics and then finding a rhythm and feeling comfortable with it and try and get that developed earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. Ball handling, shooting and speed mm-hmm. running mechanics. Because mm-hmm. those, those are things you can tackle early that will pay dividends later. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Hit, hitting the weights when you're young is, can be counterproductive. It may not work. Your hormones aren't ready to add muscle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the speed will lead to jumping and stuff. But I think speed is actually more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those two fine mortar skills, shooting and ball handling, I think mm-hmm. are really, really important. And then uh, being actually exposed to a lot of situations is to me is really important too. So uh, try and not just that one sport, that one coach, that one world. I think that's uh, that's a, that's a real important degree, whether it be other sports mm-hmm. or just other coaches within the sport or other yeah, opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Different kids play with different mm-hmm. people. You're the star of one team. You're not the star. You're the guard of one team. You're mm-hmm. not the guard. Like try and learn that all those mm-hmm. different var- variables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, I like the speed work thing um, because I think that's something where uh, like the other, the skill stuff is, is maybe a little bit more, I guess, obvious in a sense, people, there's probably some coaches out there who probably a lot, I would say that more agree with you on that. They may not know how to teach it or they may not prioritize it, but they would agree with you the thing and they might try to do it. But the thing that I, I think is interesting about the speed work and working with the track coach is that track uh, coaches are, are, um, specialists, right? If you're sprinting and you're learning how to do sprint work, they're going to teach you how to sprint. And I've seen so many players, uh, you see it all the time with basketball. Terrible runners. They, they're they terrible. Run. Yeah, they're terrible. They can't get their, they can't get their knees up. They're just no. brutal. They're dragging their feet and stuff. Uh. And you're like, what the heck? Like, and I think that's such a, and then when you factor in the, the uh, the equation that a basketball game the vast majority of it is spent sprinting because you don't like in a basketball game you turn oh i'm on defense you're supposed to sprint your coach is going to ask you to sprint back and get back into position and you're running over here and if you don't know how to do that properly i mean that's that one seems like a no-brainer and and it totally makes sense how if you could get to someone earlier you can uh because you don't they probably do it for a couple years when they're young and never do it again but they'll always have those mechanics so there's a, that's a, good there's a speed window for for boys that's like eight to eleven years old. Girls is seven to nine. Okay. Where your 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 nervous system is primed to really accept some teaching in that area. I mean, it is through the whole course of development, but those are some sure. key areas that they in the long term athletic development model that they have those key areas where you want to expose your kid to certain things. Mm-hmm. And speed window is early, right? So, and if you really look at it, kids love that stuff: acceleration, tag, change direction. They don't love going to the gym and doing hang cleans or running for five miles. Yeah. It's kind of not in their DNA right now. Yeah, the speed is there, and and it's you can do it in a lot of fun ways. And it's like you said, it's once it's wired in, you're gonna have that. I remember being at a track track training at U of M, and like Bruce Perney or Alice Gardner, one of the yeah. two legend coaches, were just like, oh, like they looked at me like. You're, you run like a basketball player. I can hear you like a mile away. And then we we're talking. Bruce Bernie played basketball. He's like, yeah, basketball players are terrible runners. And if they could just learn how to run properly, so much more efficient, so much faster. If you ever see a basketball player that's a great, that's a great sprinter, great speed, and good form, they stand out like a mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. sore thumb, man. And you know, we jumping is great, height and length is great, but one of the biggest. Physical determinant, uh, differentiators for basketball players is speed, speed yeah. and quickness. 
Yeah. If yeah. I'm the fastest guy in the world, like if I had that that superpower, you know, those ones where yeah. everything slows down. Yeah. And I I can you know I can do anything I want. Yeah. Like the speed is the one, man. So if you're yeah. look at Daniel Saki, yeah. like mind blowing speed, and you can yeah. get wherever he wants, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. stuff, guys like that, like that's what you kind of want to be. And any opportunity you get to train that, develop that uh, to the max of your genetic potential, you should take advantage of that from yeah, yeah. eight years old to 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Because at the end of the day, yeah, like you said, you can jump, you can do all that, but you have to be able to, the vast majority, the vast majority of the game is spent on the ground tracking and getting around the court. And if you yeah. can do that more efficiently, you're going to be more effective. And then you can, you don't need to jump as high because you got there first. You don't need to do those things because you can get to those spots first. And I'll go a bit further to say it's not only speed, it's agility, changing yes. direction, acceleration, deceleration, yes. the ability to be quick and agile, mm-hmm. you know, accelerate, decelerate. That That is going to be a real differentiator for you or your children or your players mm-hmm. if you're looking at developing a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Big time. So along those same lines, Dan, we're about to wrap up. I have a few more questions. So this one here, uh, you got to kind of put, uh, get, your, get your hat on and your, imagine, your imagination hat on. Um, so if you could give a lesson to all the young players who have dreams to do basketball like you did, you know, go to a big, you know, go play in uh, Division One basketball and, and play professionally, play for their national team, what would that message be? Um. That's a good question. I mean, the the number one thing that I'm seeing through the youth that come through, the ones that accelerate are the guys or girls that have a rock solid dream. Like they got a good vision and they will put in the work Mm. period. That's for sure. You need that. You know, even if you're not the most gifted naturally, you're going to get somewhere. You're going to cap tap out. Uh, If you are talented, you're genetically gifted for whatever reason, and you could, and you could dream the big dream and put the work in and then work smart and get some good advice and, you know, take care of these things early, you know, research and stuff. Um, then maybe you got a chance, especially now in today's age where it's easy to be seen. It's, it's the internet. If you're talented enough yeah. and you can, you can market yourself pretty decently and people can recognize talent on the, on a webcam or mm-hmm. on a video clip, they don't have to be in your gym. Um, but that also goes back to having the dream and be willing to work. And I would also say being very creative and competitive in that. So put that in, put those three together, right? So if I'm not just going to work because Darcy gives me a program at work. I want to go create my program. I want to do some more research. I want to figure out what it is to get better and try it. Maybe it's not the best thing in the world, but you're, you're always looking for an edge. You're always going to get better. You're adding, you're being competitive with yourself and your dream, and you're willing to put the work in to get there. Mm-hmm. And you hear you hear that everywhere from every every career, every sport. Mm-hmm. Who are the people that that succeed? And nine and a half times out of ten, it's the people that are just crazy workers or obsessed with their sport or their craft. They're either passionate about it and love it, or they're super competitive, or they're they're motivated to no end. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they just outwork people and they get better. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember actually you when you were younger, right? We had a starting up when I coached Darcy. Uh, <laughs> you know, you had your own little thing of what you wanted to work on one practice. And I'm like, come down here, I need you in this drill. And you're like, no, I'm working on my shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, you know, you wanted to be a shooter. Mm-hmm. Right. Now I can't remember how good of a shooter you were when you were younger. Maybe you could fill me in, but you became a great shooter later. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. part of it was because you were obsessed with being a good shooter even though you're six, four, six, five. And back in the day, they probably had you slotted in different positions. Like 
I think I remember telling you that if I coach you, like you'd be like a one or two guard for me. It'd be awesome mm-hmm. to have a mm-hmm. six, four, six, five shooting guard like that. Mm-hmm. Or, and back then, you know, you kind of settled into your position and kind of did what you did. You didn't think outside the box, but you had a competitive drive in your own plan. You're kind of stubborn in your own way. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you've created your own stuff. This is my program. I don't need to do this. I need to get this done. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had that little disagreement. And uh, actually, I looked, I was cleaning up my office and I found my NCI, my NCI level four work and I wrote a review on you. No way. Because, yeah, it was, I, <laughs> we were talking about the thing. And we, I was doing a module on conflict resolution. <laughs> And I was I was oh, telling you the man. story about I was telling yeah, you yeah. the story about you you don't remember as much but I was pissed off. No, I remember I it. I remember oh, the story because because you were working with the bigs and you're like yeah, yeah. you might I need one more for the drill yeah and you're like you're like why wouldn't you want to add this to your game and I was just like yeah. no and and it's funny Dan you you mentioned it because I I was obsessed at the time and it was because in high school they were like you're a post and I'm like I'm yeah. not. I'm yeah. more than that. And then, so it was, you were literally telling me to be the thing I was trying I not to be. Yeah. And so, but I, I remember it very clearly. Yeah. Cause I was like, you were pissed at me. And I was like, oh, and I and looked I knew, up to you still. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. oh fuck, but I'm no. And I was, you know, I'm <laughs> dug my heels yeah. in. <laughs> and I, I know, I know the feeling. Cause I was, I'm an oversized Premier player too. Mm. And I'm like, darn, I'm not making a post. I just, I need six for this drill. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just something to add. I remember something to add to your game. You know, yeah. it's good to be able to do everything. And you go back to shooting after you're like, yeah, no, yeah, I got yeah, this yeah. program. I got to get this done before practice starts. <laughs> but at the time I was younger and I was pissed off, but uh, now looking back, I could appreciate your drive and your, uh, your determination mm-hmm. to get something done that you thought was really important for you. And it was, it separated you. You know, it's that three on three stint you had. That was, was your bread and butter. You could bang threes. For sure. Right. Sure. So, yeah. So you need that type of stuff to excel is what I is kind of rounding back to my point. And you need people like that, even though you're a little hard headed. And I was, I was kind of that way too. I just up and left of school. I do my own thing in the gym. Sometimes I didn't listen to people. Sometimes I did. But you find your way eventually, those type of people, or they flame out one or the other. But yeah. you find a lot of people that succeed are kind of like that, you know? Yeah. They, don't, they don't just say yes, yes, and follow just whatever they're told. They also kind of have this, this vision for what they're going to be, and they have, mm. a, they have a plan they think will work, and they may adjust it if they're smart. They'll take advice, and they'll copy, and they'll adjust, but they, they figure out what works for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then a lot of them are successful. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice, Dan, man. I, uh, I appreciate you, uh, for taking the time. And, uh, I mean, I know, uh, now, I mean, you said, like you said, you when we were offline, you're starting to get busy, but I mean, for the most part, I, I appreciate you sharing the story, which is, which is the big part and, and the, and kind of the journey you've been through now, before we wrap it up, you've said so much, but is there anything uh, that you want to leave us with that, uh, I may not have asked you or uh, a message <laughs> or anything else, man, before we sign off? No, you know what? I mean, like if we're if we're talking to you and I talked earlier about uh, who your target audience is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, could be inspiring, uh, aspiring basketball players, younger ones, even retired ones, or people transitioning. So again, I played for a long time, then I had to transition into another phase of my life, and uh, you have to be in this kind of what you're you're doing. You're finishing. You're trying different things. Uh, yeah, is to is to basically have no regrets. So that's kind of mm-hmm. a couple lessons I learned. Mm-hmm. Like I told you the Syracuse story. There's a couple other ones. Uh, sitting at home, um, I had some other opportunities, and I chose this one over that one for whatever reason, right? So you always wonder if I chose that other job, or if I went this direction or this school, that what would have happened? For sure. So the bit, you know, like 
until you're really old and got a family, and even we do have a family, you know, if it's not too crazy, you don't have any regrets. Like dream big and and don't be afraid to dream big and do something you're passionate about that you really love and then work your at work your ass for it, ask for it and don't take no for an answer until until no is the answer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, ha- you basically have to do something else due to your circumstances. For sure, for yeah. sure. Hey, those are wise words, man. Wise, wise words. I appreciate you, man. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Oh, no, thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right, Dan. All right, Darcy. Take care, man. All right, man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Back to Basketball podcast. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes, subscribing, rating, and leaving a review for the podcast, as well as following us on social media. We thank you for your support and see you in the next episode.